Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Conversation. I'm Mark Thompson from the comfortable confines of self-isolation. I say welcome to The Conversation. And I would like to welcome to our show someone who is uh, really quite uh, extraordinary because he brings a story that I care a lot about uh, to today's conversation. Uh, and Norman Broderick, welcome. I, I want to quickly mention you're part of a film called Suppressed, The Fight to Vote. And this is a subject that I care desperately about because I feel the people's voice is being subverted in America, which is supposed to be sort of this shining light of the people's voice played out in the process. But uh, first, welcome. And uh, tell us a little bit of your story and how you voted absentee, I know, for quite some time. Yeah, thank you. And I appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, I voted absentee for the, the last presidential election. And um, I'm sorry, for the last election, uh, the governor election. and. Uh, I was working out of state and I put the address where I was uh, residing at out of state as the address to send my absentee ballot and my absentee ballot never came. And when I checked, uh, it came here like a couple of days before the election was gonna be over before I had a chance to vote. When I called, when I got back to Georgia and I called the, um, the, the office to ask, hey, where's my absentee ballot? Uh, I was told that they did receive it. Everything was correct and how I filled it out. I made no mistakes, but they failed in the process. They sent it. They admittedly sent it to the wrong address. And what I discovered shortly after that is it happened to a lot of other people, not just me. I was, it wasn't an isolated incident. And, and the so, result of that was you were not permitted to vote. Isn't that right? Right. Yeah, that's the first time I, I was not permitted to vote. And, and it was it was the worst feeling ever. Of course, I've got to think that that is infuriating and and uh, and your appeals or your your only moves at that point were to petition to them. And they said it's just tough. I mean, we, it was just a screw up and, you know, better luck next time type thing. Exactly. Their their words were sorry. There's nothing we can do. And uh, you you your vote won't be counted this year. Now, I want to get into the absentee voting process because you, you do, you're a retired army. And so I believe you are overseas quite a bit. Is that right? Or in other words, you're, you're away and experienced with the absentee voting process. That's correct. I'm retired and um, I was overseas a lot. And in my last job, I was overseas and or working out of state in South Carolina. And with this current um, position I'm in, I'm due to be out of state during this presidential election. I'll be out of country. So um, it's very disconcerting how the absentee process works in Georgia. And, and so again, what state will this be in that you'll be registered in? Right now I'm in Colorado, I mean, excuse me, I'm in Georgia and uh, I'll be out of the country probably around November. So what remedies have been suggested you? I mean, where have you uh, sought some kind of counsel on this and what remedies have been suggested along the way? There has been no remedies suggested along the way. Um, as a matter of fact, and ironically um, speaking, uh, my wife and I received this uh, secure your vote um, document in the mail 
to vote absentee because of the coronavirus um, for this primary election. And um, I'm curious to see how that is going to work out. This is an interesting conversation because, as I say, it speaks to the people's voice being suppressed. And we know about the way that people's voices are suppressed from uh, gerrymandering the vote to uh, suppression. Uh, I think having the vote on a Tuesday in itself is a kind of voter suppression. But uh, then you get to these other avenues that are suggested as, uh, look, uh, we're offering all citizens a chance to vote here. They can vote absentee. They can vote by the mail. They can vote in all these other ways. So uh, this is particular of interest because if they've, in essence, made this absentee voting something that doesn't work out and you can't have confidence in, uh, it begins to skew your impression of the voting results. It does. And, and you made some good points. I can register a weapon. I can purchase a weapon. I can buy a house. I can apply for a loan. I can uh, do a lot of things, but the, one of the most difficult things to do in, in America, or at least in Georgia, is to vote absentee. And uh, they, they screen the signatures, they gerrymander. Um, they could do exact name matching. Um, they were purging folks. It, it's ridiculous. The film, I haven't seen it yet. I'm, I may watch it tonight, like right away. I'm, I'm excited to see it. But tell me about the film Suppression. They do feature your story, but other stories like yours and then stories that also have to do with, of course, voter suppression that are not exactly like yours. Tell us about the film. The film is, is a wonderful um, depiction of what's been going on here in Georgia. And I would hope that it's not a snapshot across the United States. But a lot of people were denied their right to vote with long lines, inadequate services, uh, given misleading information, exact name matching, um, being told that they were not U.S. citizens. Um, some were purged for no reason at all. And uh, just a lot of underhandedness were being done to the voters uh, during this uh, governor election. And, you know, it's funny, uh, not funny, uh, laughably funny, but funny, uh, eerie and weird funny that in the midst of this healthcare crisis, in the midst of this uh, crisis that is affecting everyone's uh, ability and desire to go out, that it feels as though we've just come off the heels of the Wisconsin uh, election, which, as you know, was sort of forced down voters' throats despite uh, a, an attempt by the governor to, uh, to sort of park it until June. Uh, it views, it's, I view it as an opportunity, perhaps, for a lot of what happened to you to happen to more and more Americans, a sort of a, a political power grab. Do you see it that way? I do. It's, it's, it's exactly what it is. It's a political power grab. And I wouldn't be surprised if they use some of those tactics here, um, open up some polls, but yet tell you that you can't come out because we have to shelter in place. And or if you do, it's only 10 or more people. And of course, the lines are going to get frustrated and or the process is going to be skewed again. So it, I don't see, and I haven't seen Georgia do anything um, positively to fix these problems. Well, I mean, you mentioned Georgia, as you are very much aware, I know there were so many irregularities concerning the election results in Georgia. There's, even, there's a suggestion of everything from hacking into the election systems to the sort of voter suppression that you're describing. So it's really now you feel like there's almost this Alice in Wonderland aspect to what might happen to the election in November. Yeah, it does. Um, hopefully with, with your program and programs like yours, we'll get the voice out 
we'll get the the word out to people and uh, hopefully somebody will hear and hopefully one of these uh people who are in charge will take the mantle and do something about it if not you know we'll keep speaking and we'll keep fighting i mean it just seems unacceptable frankly that someone like yourself could say hey i didn't get this absentee ballot and for them to say you know what send it to the wrong address and there's no remedy suggested literally no one you spoke with suggested it can be corrected in such and such a manner exactly i was very shocked and and being from a military being a leader uh, sometimes you'll get a no but you know there's always a workaround there's a way to get things done um past the first obstacle and when i didn't when they told me i didn't have my chance my vote would not be counted and i wouldn't have the chance to vote and i was dumbfounded like, okay is, is there something else that we can do somebody we can talk to a letter i can write um, testimonial I can give is somewhere we can validate that what happened happened so that we can move forward. And all the answers were no, your vote was just, it's not going to be counted. And that's the end to it. Did you speak to someone? Uh, I'm just curious about the actual process. If you wouldn't mind giving me 30 seconds on that. Do you pick up the phone and call someone? Do you, do you speak to someone at a polling place? Exactly with whom did you speak about this? I spoke to the, um, to the Georgia, um, they referred you to some official uh, uh, agency or some person at an official. Right, it was state. Georgia. It was state agency official, and I called and I left the message, and they finally called me back, and we spoke. I had them on speakerphone, so me and my wife were in the room, and uh, so I, I could have a witness there to, to to hear exactly what they're telling me, and I've sent emails. Um, I went on websites and large complaints, and it's just nothing. Sorry. Wow, wow. I, I I have to say it's it's astounding that you could just be so offhandedly told, "Hey, you know what? Tough luck, dude. I mean, uh, you know, better luck next time." And now next time's rolled around, and there is a real anxiety. I think it's a legitimate one on your part about whether or not you'll be able to vote this time in an absentee way. Yeah, I'm very skeptical, and uh, I, I just hope that this thing is. I don't think it's fixed, but I hope something is in place that can get people vote counted, you know, within their expectations. I think there has to be a, a movement. I think you, your story and this film may be part of such a movement. And as you say, if there's enough uh, of a media groundswell and a popular groundswell, there will be changes. But it's definitely uh, it, it cuts to the, to the heart of the of the republic. So, uh, Norman Roderick, I want to again mention the film. I mean, it's uh, it, it's called. Uh, suppressed the fight to vote and uh it's at bravenewfilms.org slash suppressed that's what uh is the website that exists so you can find it again it's called suppressed uh good luck and thank you for sharing your story and i can't wait to see the film and i appreciate you sharing a few minutes with us today on the conversation no problem thank you and like i said i'm willing to keep fighting until this the fight is done and definitely see it when you get a chance Thank you, sir. The conversation continues in a moment. Hello, welcome to the conversation. I'm Mark Thompson here in uh, uh, this self-isolation that we're all imposing upon ourselves. And in between washing hands, I put on my credibility glasses for Chamak Sawant, who for five minutes took me through how to pronounce her name. She's a magnificent politician 
in Seattle who is doing things that are truly breakthrough. And when I say that, it is not hyperbole. You're going to hear what she's trying to do. And uh, it's, it's exciting. It's uh, cutting edge. And uh, it represents some uh, deeply held beliefs on her part. So welcome. And how did I do with the name, Shama? You did really great. And thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. Now, we should say, you know, you fly the socialist flag comfortably and, and, and proudly. And, and a lot of things that you're after really reflect that what you'd like to see at a minimum. And again, I'm just summarizing. Please correct me if this isn't more or less the case. Uh, you'd like to see these corporations, which get fat or do well, uh, because of the many workers there in the Seattle area, for example, but also across America, you'd like to see them pay their fair share of what they're getting out of the system. Isn't that a fair way to kind of describe it in general? Oh, absolutely. That is the that is the what you said is the absolute reality that we are seeing. But as you said, not just in the Seattle area. This is the story of capitalism globally, and the pandemic has really unraveled that story in a way that we couldn't have imagined about the fundamental nature of the system where uh, you know you uh, millions of people go to work every day and we get shafted because our paychecks don't reflect the value we have produced and then lo and behold you have uh, a whole generation of america that is worse off than its parents generation while we have more billionaires and multimillionaires and so these these are not unfortunate juxtapositions that coincidentally happened at the same time. It is the wealth being siphoned off from ordinary people and workers that is going into the hands of billionaires, which is why at the bare minimum, you need taxes on big business. And especially in Seattle, this is a very important story because we have the nation's most regressive tax system. Yes, I, I want to get to the taxes in Seattle in particular, because I know you uh, with the city council and there in Seattle, have pressed enormously on Amazon, for example. But I want to put that to the side for a moment and follow up on what you just said about this, this situation that's happening both worldwide and in this country. Because what you're also seeing, at the same time, it would seem, is sort of big government, right? People turning to government to bail them out. I'm talking about not only you know the people who are living paycheck to paycheck, but huge industries in this country are turning to government to bail them out. I think that is a very important thing to notice because we're seeing what uh, we had already seen in the Great Recession. We're seeing a repeat of that, but in a much bigger way. You know, already the Federal Reserve has declared that they're going to pump a trillion dollars a day. I mean, this is not a misprint, a trillion dollars a day for the biggest banks, the most rapacious corporations who... Uh, you know, in again, in the Great Recession, they they it was their system and their practices that took the economy to the precipice of disaster. And they are the ones who got bailed out while ordinary people, working class people, middle class homeowners, we faced massive unemployment, a wave of foreclosures and evictions and wages that have never recovered since that crisis. And now we have uh, a bigger uh, crisis on our hands, you know, Kenneth Rogoff, who's a Harvard economist who studies recessions, has predicted that we very likely we're heading into what could be the mother of all recessions. And in comparison to what we are heading into, the Great Recession was simply a dry run. And in this context, it is absolutely stunning and just um, outrageous that 
these banks that have profited off an ongoing sort of perennial crisis of working people are now also again uh, banging on the doors of the government, as you said, which is funded by middle class and working class taxpayers saying we want more money. Just to give you a very uh, important local example, you know, the Boeing Corporation, which has uh, extorted the Washington state taxpayers for decades, gotten billions of dollars, used billions of those dollars for stock buybacks for the executives and the major shareholders. Once again, getting a piece of the the stimulus, the so-called federal stimulus package now, and then uh, turning around just two days ago, turning around, uh, around and telling its mechanics that you're no longer going to be paid for the stay at home leave, which we, we need to in order to contain this virus but the workers are not going to be paid for that leave at the same time that the corporation's executives are getting billions of dollars in loan guarantees and low, in, low interest loans from the federal stimulus package. You would think that that, and, and it was talked about as a rider to that package, would be part of that package, that there would be stipulations preventing that. But that's, a, yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing that's, I think that's a very important component of this political discussion, because it's not enough for us as a movement to recognize what went wrong or what didn't happen, but it's also critical to analyze why is it that it didn't happen. And, and unfortunately, I have to say, uh, that's been the story of Seattle as well. You know, the, the Seattle City Council is eight Democrats, one socialist. And we see similar things play out, what you see in U.S. Congress, even though, you, you of course, we are contending with the Trump administration and the Republican Party establishment as well. But the fact that the Democratic establishment has not fought in the way it needs to for working people. Why is it that every Democrat in U.S. Congress was not calling for what Bernie Sanders was calling for, which is to a $2 trillion package of stimulus for working people only, not for big business, not for the billionaires who have exploited us, but for working people, which would include a $2,000 a month check for all working families. And I would just quote Robert Reich, the former labor secretary, who said, you know, in reference to the one-time $1,200 paycheck check that is going to go from the stimulus package to working families, you know, he said, you know, it's an insult to tell working families, you know, who are going to have no income for who knows how many months. Here you go, you have a one-time check of $1,200. How are they going to, uh, how are they supposed to survive or for rent, groceries, their, the needs of their children and their elderly family members. That's an insult. That's why we have to really um, turn the tables on this conversation and demand far more of our elected representatives than is being demanded of the democratic establishment. And that's why locally, you know, we are as socialists and as workers and labor unions, we're fighting for the Amazon tax, which is the tax to, uh, on the largest corporations in our city so that we can give immediate cash assistance to many of our hurting families. Well, thank you, because this is exactly where I wanted to go with you. So tell me about the Amazon tax. I know you've lobbied for it heavily. You've really been, uh, you know, you pursued this in a way that's been vigorous and passionate. Tell us about what you want. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, as I said, Seattle and Washington state have the nation's most regressive tax system. And so it's not a surprise that Seattle, you know, it's, it's a beautiful city and it's a deeply unequal city. So at the same time that we have uh, more and more people uh, living on the fringes, barely able to pay their rent, facing a massive housing affordability crisis and many working class people, especially the black and brown community being pushed out of the city because of uh, skyrocketing housing prices. At the same time, we're seeing 
more and more multimillionaires and billionaires who don't pay anything close to their fair share. This is a corporate and wealthy people's tax haven, by the way. And so, you know, for three years now, our movement has been fighting for an Amazon tax, which is a tax on the largest corporations to fund a massive expansion of social housing and the Green New Deal. We were, our movement was strong enough in 2018 to win a unanimous vote despite having a hostile city council, you know, as I said, all Democrats except me uh, being a socialist. And those Democrats, less than a month after their own unanimous vote, ended up repealing it because they made a backroom deal with Amazon lobbyists and other, you know, Chamber of Commerce lobbies. So here we are again. Now things are even worse. The housing affordability is worse. Homelessness is worse. And now you have the pandemic. So what my office is proposing is a tax on the 2% largest corporations. In other words, 98% of small and medium-sized businesses, all other businesses would be exempt. Just the 2% of the largest corporations like Amazon would pay a 1.3% tax, which is bare minimum. It's like pocket change for these guys uh, so that we can immediately fund $200 million worth of coronavirus emergency for up to 100,000 working families who've lost incomes and become destitute in this crisis. And then starting next year to have $500 million to have, you know, to begin the expansion of social housing and Green New Deal. And one thing I should add is, you know, given the dire unemployment numbers that we are already seeing now and what we're going to see in, in the rest of the year, uh, this is very important because expansion of social housing and Green New Deal programs implies an expansion of jobs and the right kind of jobs. You know, we're talking about unionized public sector living wage jobs. I love that you mentioned that because I always uh, get this static about the Green New Deal as though it was just some giveaway. But the reality is it's a huge economic opportunity for both the country and for many of the people who need the work desperately. Absolutely. Not to mention that we have a climate catastrophe at our doorstep. And so how are we going to avert that unless we get dead serious about combating climate change? And that requires actual policy changes uh, that requires actual changes. But might I say also, you know, just for your listeners that, you know, first of all, winning these kinds of policies is going to be an absolute struggle. You know, without a political struggle, without a political clash, we're not going to win this. It is ultimately about tipping the balance of forces in our favor against big business because they are going to oppose this tooth and nail. And we are already seeing this. Uh, but, you know, we need to go beyond that as hard as it will be to win these reforms. At the end of the day, we're seeing what Amazon corporations like Amazon are doing. They are exploiting their workforce. They are profiting from the crisis and they're doing that brazenly and shamelessly. And the day being the billionaires and the multimillionaires. So I think this whole crisis, the pandemic, has brought up the question also of the need for public ownership of corporations like Amazon, you know, the big corporations like Boeing, and repurposing them to produce goods that are of absolute necessity for society. Like, for example, right now, corporations like Boeing and auto sector corporations should be retooled to provide, um, you know, ventilators and ventilator valves, you know, things that are going to be need, uh, needed as life-saving devices. Yeah, right now they are exer uh, exercising leverage and we should be able to exercise leverage. And your point, maybe this is for the next conversation we'll have, uh, your point is if we if we own these companies, if the public uh, had a an ownership stake in these companies, we'd be able to exercise whatever leverage we wanted. It is about money. I love that you mentioned Amazon. I could talk to you for another hour because I think you have uh, not only great passion, but 
you, you know, you're such uh, clean takes on so many of these ideas. I look forward to your next visit. And so, uh, Shama Sawant, I, I wish you uh, the best of luck, and I hope you'll visit us again. Thank you so much. And if you, if, 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 if I can just take 30 seconds, you know, I think it's really important that working class people uh, push for, uh, you know, prepare for a rent strike on May 1st. And also, I just wanted to say at the Young Turks, I know that your workers are holding an election uh, for a union today. I wanted to send my solidarity and good wishes to them and hope everybody votes yes. And please know that my organization, Socialist Alternative, and my office stand in solidarity with everybody at the Young Turks who are unionizing. Let's go forward. Solidarity. Thanks so much. It's Shama Sawant. And uh, more or less, I had the name right in the end. Uh, oh, I think, absolutely. I think we did OK. Uh, thanks so much again. It was a pleasure, as I said, talking to you and visiting with you. And Likewise. thanks for all of you to uh, uh, for, for, thanks. You, thanks for taking a few minutes out to uh, to join us here on the conversation. As I said, these are, you know, we're technically we are, you know, we're bringing people in virtually in ways that uh, uh, we have. But we're bringing me in virtually in ways that we haven't. So I appreciate your uh, your patience. And until next time, bye bye.